So January 8th, 2023, we began a journey through the Bible. Uh, and it has lasted all year. We started with Genesis, and today we end with Revelation. And uh, on that day, on January 8th, I read these words from the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And on that day, back in January, January 8th, I also read these words from the book of Revelation. And night will be no more. They will need no light or of lamp, excuse me, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And uh, in about four hours when I finish this sermon, I will read those same words again. You know, as we've done this series from Genesis to Revelation over 2023, it has been fantastic. I have loved all of it. And, uh, and there's actually a little bit of a sadness in me that we're uh, leaving that behind. But I think what's been neat uh, or most exciting about it is that everything from Genesis to Revelation points to one truth, to one person. It points to Jesus Christ and him crucified, and that we can have relationship with God through Jesus. And everything that we've talked about points back to that one central truth. Um, and today, as we look into the book of Revelation, we're going to find that same truth. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that you um, let us worship you, that you invite us to worship you. Uh, and God, as we look at the words in the book of Revelation, I pray that you would uh, help us to understand these things, um, give us insight, and uh, God, I pray that you would speak loudly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand, if you're able. If you would please stand. And we are going to read uh, from the book of Revelation together. We're going to read uh, the first three verses, okay? Are you ready? Let's put those up there to start. All right, so I will lead loud and you all read with me, okay? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Thanks. You guys can grab a seat. So here's why I had us read that passage together. Because in verse 3, it said, Blessed are those who read these words aloud, the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear. Uh, and so we're going to spend the next 30 minutes talking about the book of Revelation. And some of you have never read the book of Revelation. You're confused and you may leave here confused. Some of you know something about the book of Revelation and you're super excited about it. Some of you are just, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, and and as, I, as I look at this, I've planned this, like you may leave here with more questions than you have answers when we leave today. And so at least I wanted you to be blessed because it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. So you all just did that. If the sermon bombs, you at least have been blessed. So that's why we started with that, at least in part. So it was uh, about two months ago that I made the decision, uh, as I prayed about it, I, like, I want to end with just an overview of the book of Revelation. And two or three months ago, that seemed like a really good decision. 
Uh, this past week, that seemed like a really bad decision. Uh, and so I have been reading different books over the course uh, of the last number of months and skimming them, reading certain chapters and so forth. Um, and this is the way that I have felt this week. And, and some of you will be able to identify with this, hopefully. But I have felt like uh, the guy who graduated from law school in May, and he knows he has the bar exam at the end of July, and it gets to be like the fourth week of July, and he's like, I wish I had studied harder for this, right? Uh, and not that I haven't been studying, but, and, I, and I love what I've been learning, um, but at the same time this week, I'm like, gosh, I don't know that I have all of this absorbed enough and understand enough to give a good message on it. Um, and my lovely assistant, Stacy. So just to give you an idea of what my life has looked like the last two months. Um, so here's what, I've been, here's what I've been reading while you all have been reading whatever you read. So, um, so we've got... Um, Christian theology, that's kind of a big one. I just read a couple chapters from that. Systematic theology. We've got uh, three views of the millennium, four views of Revelation, reading Revelation responsibly, and Revelation for the rest of us. And then, of course, I've also been reading my Bible with Revelation and all the study notes at the bottom. So that's what I've been doing in preparation for this morning. What have you been doing? Okay. Scores one to zero. Every time that I give a sermon, I want to be faithful to God's Word, and I want to give a message that is from God and not speak anything that is not from God. Uh, but when it comes to the book of Revelation, the stakes are sort of increased, because listen to what it says at the end of the book of Revelation. This is Revelation chapter 22. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Like, that's kind of a lot of pressure. I don't want to add to this book, because there's like a lot of bad stuff that happens. There. There's like sores and hailstones and fire and scorching and stuff like that. Like, I do not want that to be me. And um, I have not spoken on the book of Revelation very much, and we've never gone through it as a book. And I think one of the reasons is when I give a message, um, and if you've been around for a while, most of my messages, you know, kind of follow an outline form, and it'll be like, you know, three truths from Colossians chapter 3, or three truths about marriage, or, you know, four ways to improve your prayer life. You know, I'll have those sorts of, you know, kind of three or four things. And, and if I did a message series through the, the book of Revelation, I think the first message would be like, three things I understand and one thing I don't, right? Next would be four weird things that don't make much sense to me. Next would be five things that I hope to get clarified when I get to heaven. Like there's just a lot in this book that is difficult to understand. And so because of the difficulty of this book, people have gravitated in one of two directions when it comes to the book of Revelation. There's some people who are hyper into the book of Revelation and they read that thing and they're figuring out charts and maps and graphs and all this kind of stuff. And they're making all of these one-to-one correspondence and they're like, and everybody needs to believe this. And there are people who are just really, really wacko into the book of Revelation, right? And then there's the camp over here of like, this book is too weird, I don't understand it, so I'll just kind of ignore it and maybe figure it out later, right? And that's typically where people stand. And I have certainly been much more closer to this camp of like, I don't get this thing. Uh, but over the last number of months, I've really dug in and tried to understand the book of Revelation. And, um, and so, as we begin, I want to set some expectations for you this morning, or perhaps dash your expectations. So if you're here this morning, 
uh, and you're hearing, you know, Revelation, you're kind of excited about that, and you're hoping to know that when you leave here, who is the Antichrist? You're going to be disappointed. Uh, if you're here and you have some very specific question about the sixth trumpet or the third seal in detail, you are going to be disappointed. If you're here hoping to know if the Palestinian-Israeli conflict is the beginning of the end times, I would love to answer that for you, but you will be disappointed. Uh, and if you have no idea what any of this stuff is, you're in good company because a lot of people don't have any idea what this stuff is, commentators included. See, as Americans, far too often we read the book of Revelation in this way. We sit down at Starbucks or someplace like that, and we have our $5 latte on our Starbucks table, and we have the book of Revelation open here, and then we have our phone open here, open to different news feeds. We've got you know, CNN or Fox News or Twitter or whatever news feeds you like over here, and we're trying to put these two things together. We're reading the book of Revelation going, where can I find this in the current events? You know, who is the beast? Who are the two witnesses? What's the big scroll? What's the small scroll? And we have these speculative ideas about what these things are based on current events. But that's not how the readers of the first of Revelation, when it was written by John, of how they would have read it. You see, the original readers of the book of Revelation were reading this, and they were under incredibly intense persecution. That they were in the Roman Empire. And at the time that this was written in the 90s, that there was an emperor named Domitian, who was just a nutcase. And one before him who was named Nero, and he was just crazy and did all kinds of nutty things, right? And so these two emperors are ruling the Roman Empire as these people are reading this, letter and they are part of the Roman Empire. Nero was so nutty, crazy, there was a fire in Rome and he wanted a scapegoat of why the fire happened. And so what Nero did is he blamed the Christians. He spread these rumors, it's the Christians, and so he started to put Christians to death. He started to put Christians in the gladiators and let them be killed. He actually put Christians on posts and lit them on fire as nightlights. That's how sick this man was. And then there was Domitian. And if he wanted to be worshipped as divine, and if you didn't worship him as divine, then you would be executed or you would be exiled. And so that was the state that these people were living in who were reading the book of Revelation. They needed hope for what they were going through at the time. They needed and they were looking for answers. And so as we read the book of Revelation, like every other book in the Bible, we need to understand that it was written to a particular group of people going through a time, but it was, so it was, it was written to them, but it is also for us. So we would say the same thing about Ephesians or Colossians, the Gospel of Matthew. It's written to an audience, but it is for us to learn from and to grow in. One of the things that happens when we read the book of Revelation is we're trying, again, we're trying to find connections, you know, through in our own society and world. And, and I can remember this when I was um, just first a believer um, and, and people were talking about the book of Revelation and, and so forth. And so in Revelation 13, 1, it says this, okay? And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns 
and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. Right? And so people would read that and are like, what does this mean? How can we find this happening in our culture, in our world today? And the, the European Union, the Economic Union, it was uh, formed, I think, in the late 70s, early 80s. And it was, there were seven countries that formed this European economic, this economic union. And so there were revelationists, if you will, that looked at that and said, oh my goodness, there it is. That's the seven heads of the beast, right? Well, then they added three more countries. So now there's 10 countries in the European Union. And so the revelationists go, ah, we got it wrong, but only slightly wrong. That's the 10 horns of the beast, right? And this, we must be in the end times. But then the problem was, in 1986, is Spain was added to the European Union, and now there's 11. And it's like, well, that doesn't work anymore, right? The mark of the beast, that's also another source of great speculation. What's the mark of the beast? Who is the beast? So that comes from Revelation chapter 13. It says this, also, it causes all, that's, that's the beast, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Ooh. So there's been speculation about what is the mark of the beast. And you youngins may not remember this, okay? But there was a day when you went to the grocery store and every single item in the grocery store had a, a tag on it that told you how much it was. You know, milk is 99 cents, eggs are 59 cents, cereal $1.29, and it was a little sticker. And it was really amazing. You would take your cart, your buggy, you'd put it on the conveyor belt, and there was a checkout lady, right? And she, with one hand, she is moving yourself, looking at things, and the other hand, she is typing. I mean, she's just doing this, like totally blind. It, does everybody remember those days? Those, those women, I, I don't know if I ever saw a man do that, but they were pretty amazing, weren't they, right? But then, but then, the store switched to barcodes, the mark of the beast, Right? <laughs> And so now they're swiping, deet, 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 and there was a barcode. I'm like, oh, and then if you got like, you know, like frosted flakes and it had 666 in the barcode, you're like, oh, we can't eat that, right? But there, this, you know, and then people will begin to speculate. You know, the barcodes, they're on the, on the groceries we buy, just wait. They're going to put one on your forehead, and they're going to put one on your hand, just like it says, because it says you can't buy or sell unless you have it in your right hand or the forehead. And there was this speculation that went on, right? That's because people are like, oh, we're in the end times, the end times, it's coming soon. But here's what I would propose to you. That instead of reading the book of Revelation with the Revelation book in one hand and a newspaper or a news feed in the other hand, I think it'd be much more beneficial to read the book of Revelation in one hand and to study your Old Testament with the other hand. Book of Revelation has 404 verses in it, right? From chapter 1 to chapter 22, it's 404 verses. The, old the book of Revelation also has 518 references to Old Testament verses, 
right? So one of the reasons it's hard to understand the book of Revelation is because we're not very good scholars of the Old Testament. But the better scholars we become of the Old Testament, the more we will understand the book of Revelation. Let me give you an example. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this. This will sound familiar because Jesus quotes it often. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Okay? So this is saying this is what a believer is to be about. What's the most important thing? Love God with all your soul, all your strength, all your heart, with everything that is in you. That is our call and our goal as believers in God, as followers of Jesus now. Okay? And then two verses later, it says this. Listen to this. It says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Right? So you look at what is written in Revelation, and you go, what is he referring to? He's referring to that. Right? Now, we put these things together, and one of the things about the the book of Revelation is there's a lot of symbolism. And if we can figure out the symbolism, and I'm going to give you some charts a little bit later to help you with that, uh, but if we can figure out the symbolism, then the book of Revelation will make a lot more sense to us, okay? Now, one of the things about the book of Revelation is the number seven is repeated over and over and over. And the number seven is the, it's the number of perfection. So there are seven churches, seven lampstands, seven angels, seven seals, seven trumpets, right? Now, the number that is one less than seven is six, and you go, well, if you can't have seven, well, six is a pretty good number. If you can't have, you know, seven scoops of ice cream, six scoops of ice cream would be pretty good, so to speak, right? So it's almost seven, but it's not there. And so the way the book of Revelation uses the number six, it's a counterfeit number. It's, it's sort of impersonating or a false divinity, right? And so you put the 777 together with the 666, and you look at that and you say, what he's talking about, in all likelihood, is he's talking about we create this false divinity, these false gods, which seem almost as good as 777, but it's 666. And you see, as we, as we look at that, and what they dealt with, He's like, where are we going to put our hope? Because life seems to be falling apart. Christians are getting persecuted. Christians are getting killed. And where do we put our hope? And saying, don't put your hope in something false. Put your hope in God. And 666 is something that imitates what is perfect. And we can look at our lives as well. And we ask, where do I put my hope? Do I put my hope in God? Or do I put my hope in something that looks like God? It is a false divinity that gives a false um, sense of security. All right, so now I'm done with the introduction to the introduction. Um, let me give you an overview of, of the book. And so really, I want to do three things this morning. I want to give you an overview of the book. I want to lay a foundation for us if you want to do further study in the book of Revelation to be able to do that yourself. And the third is I just want to give you some practical applications to understand um, and to apply what we've talked about this morning. So the book of Revelation begins this way. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So that's Revelation 1.1. Now, first of all, just to be really clear, it is called the book of Revelation. It is not the book of Revelations. 
Okay, don't pluralize it. That is like fingers on the chalkboard to me. It's, it's revelation, okay? So that's important, at least to me, okay? So it's the book of Revelation, not Revelations. But Revelation, what Revelation means, it means the revealing of something. So it means the book of revealing. And so there's sort of two parts of that, two ways to look at that. One is it, it is revealing what will happen in the future, right? The future revelation, revealing what will happen in the future. But it is also revealing that which we don't understand. Or in other words, that there's this behind the scenes action that's going on in the heavens as we experience life here on earth. And it's, it's revealing what's happened in the heavens as we go through life here on earth. And it says in verse 4, it says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. So we know it's written by John. This is John who is the disciple of Jesus, wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's writing where he's exiled on this island called Patmos. And he wrote it to the seven churches in Asia. Again, remember, and, and Asia for them uh, is what we would call um, modern-day Turkey. And so, but remember, he's writing to them not with their Wi-Fi that's out and our first world problems and stuff like that. He's writing to real people facing real problems and issues in life. Now, one of the reasons that the book of Revelation is hard for us to understand is because there's three different genres in the book of Revelation. So one is it's a letter, right? So it is written as a letter. There's a part of it that are actually letters to particular churches, just the way that we have, you know, Philippians is a letter to the church at Philippi. Corinthians is a letter to the church at Corinth. So there's, that's part of it. Part of it is prophecy, and prophecy is partially this is what will happen, but prophecy is also this is the truth that you need to understand. As you think about the book of Isaiah or Ezekiel and things like that in the Old Testament, they did both of those things. They foretold the future, but they also were speaking to the generation that they were written to. And then the third part of it is this apocalyptic literature with this very heavy symbolism. And that's where it is for us difficult because it's this image-driven language. Now, for us, it's very difficult. My guess is, uh, and this is a pretty good guess, is that, that's not a guess. The deal is, with the folks who were reading it at the beginning when it was written, they didn't struggle with it as much as we do because they were already used to this apocalyptic language, this image-driven language. Revelation 4, verses 2 and 3 says this. It says, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper, of Carnelian, a rainbow resembling the emerald encircled the throne, right? And so you can kind of picture that in your mind, and that's what they would do. But they were used to that type of language. This is from a book called the Book of Enoch, and it sounds very similar. It says this, And I saw a deep abyss with columns of heavenly fire. Among them I saw columns of fire fall, which were beyond measure, like towards the height and towards the depth. And beyond the abyss, I saw a place which had no firmament of heaven above. And so you have that imaginative sort of figurative apocalyptic language, and you put all that in one book, and that's why it's a little bit sort of mind-blowing for us going, how can we wrap our brains around this? So it helps to start with an outline of the book. So I'm going to give you an outline. I think I made a chart for it. So chapter one is basically an introduction. This is who's writing, where he's writing it from, who's it to, that type of thing, um, and a little bit of why he's writing it and what he saw. 
And then chapters 2 and 3 are seven letters to seven different churches. And those letters, if you read them, it actually follows the mail route of, uh, of Turkey or of uh, Asia Minor at that point in time. And those letters uh, are very similar, again, to the, some of the letters that we have in the rest of the New Testament, where he gives instruction, he gives very practical instruction to the church at Thyatira. He says, your works and your love are great and amazing. But then he says to the church in Ephesus, you have, fought, you have lost your first love. Or the church in Laodicea, he says, you are living lukewarm lives. Be hot, which is really good. Hot water is good for something. Or be cold, because cold water is good for something. But you are living lukewarm lives, which are good for nothing. So do something purposeful with your lives. Then verses four, excuse me, chapters 4 and 5 are descriptions of worship in heaven and a description of God. And some, again, it, be, it begins this uh, kind of um, uh, 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 <laughs> imagery, this kind of weird imagery, right? Uh, and then the, the verses 6 through 10, or excuse me, chapters, I'm getting a little tongue-tied here. Uh, chapters 6 through 20, I was originally going to call this weird stuff, but I'm like, that doesn't fit an outline. Um, so I changed it to apocalyptic imagery. But there really is, it's just weird stuff in these chapters. Like, in these chapters, you've got the seven seals, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the, four, uh, the 144,000, seven trumpets, two witnesses, the woman and the dragon, the first beast, the second beast, the seven plagues, the bowls, the great prostitute, and the marriage supper of the lamb and the millennium. You got, you know, like, what is all of that about? And we'll come back to that in a minute. And then chapters 21 and 22 are a description of the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? So that's a broad overview of it. The difficulty with Revelation is this. Is how you interpret the book of Revelation depends on your starting point. And there are basically four different starting points or four approaches to the book of Revelation. And depending which one you have, it's going to change how you look at the scriptures, how you look at the book of Revelation. So I'm going to give you these four overviews in very briefly. The first one is called preterist, okay? And this is a view that what's described in the book of Revelation is things that were happening, current day events, and the implications of them and what was kind of behind the scenes and a little bit into the future. So all the things written about, especially in those chapters of 6 through 20, have already happened in that time. An example of that would be talks about, uh, John talks about the great prostitute uh, living on the seven mountains. The great prostitute is on the seven mountains. That's chapter 17. And Rome was built on and was known for being on the seven mountains. And so they make those sort of correlations. A second view is called the historic view. And this is the view that what's in the book of Revelation, especially these kind of chapters five or six, that area towards the end uh, of, the, of the entire book, is this um, unfolding of human history. And we are somewhere in the middle of it, beginning with the birth of Christ and ending with the return of Christ. And we are somewhere in the middle, and this is this unfolding. The third view is what's called the futurist view. And this is the view that everything that's written about from chapter 6 and beyond hasn't yet happened. And all of these things will eventually unfold in real life, real time events into the future. And then the fourth view is the idealist view. And this is the view that 
what is described in the book of Revelation, especially these apocalyptic imagery and so forth, that these are not necessarily real events, but it's kind of these symbolic things of these are things that happen over and over in time. Um, And it's not a sequential thing. It's more like this is a, a pictorial imagery of what is happening in the heavenly realms as we experience these different things here on earth. So, the big question is, which one of those is right? Okay, you don't know the answer. So, so here's the thing. Is, uh, and, and you, again, you may have opinions on this, strong or moderate or no opinions at all. But here's the thing is, I'm super reluctant to say this is the right answer. In part because I think that, that the theologians kind of put these pretty thick lines between it. And I think there is some room for kind of a both-and approach. Uh, but I'm definitely a little reluctant to say it's this way or it's that way, because in this book it says if you say what's wrong about this or you, you know, add on to this, sores and hailstones and fire, and you might get scorched if I get scorched up here, and that'd be a, a bad thing. And the thing is, all four of these views, it's not like, well, this is the liberal view and this is the conservative view and that's the this view. It's like there are smart people who are Bible-believing Christians who follow or ascribe to each of these four approaches. So, having said this, here's what I have found, okay? Is I have found that in reading the book of Revelation, especially in the last couple weeks as I have read it and thought about it, I have found that it's most helpful to read it through the idealistic lens, the idealistic approach. And, and here's why, is because I find that the book of Revelation speaks to my life. And if I can read it so that it speaks to my life, and, and maybe some of these things happen in the future as well. I mean, the mark of the beast, you know, and, and who is the beast? Maybe there was, you know, a beast in Rome and they said, oh, it's 666 and he did something with numbers. And, and maybe there will be a time in the future and the beast and 666 and numbers and so forth, right? Those may be true, but I also find that right here, right now, that that understanding of 666 and a false divinity is very helpful for me because I want to give my life fully to the Lord. I want to love the Lord my God with all my strength and all my hope and all my mind and all of me. I want that to be on my forehead and on my wrist. I don't want to give my worship and my allegiance to anything no matter how good it might appear. Now, at this point, you may be discouraged. You're like, I'm not reading the book of Revelation. If Matt doesn't understand, I got no chance of understanding it. Well, first of all, Matt ain't that smart. You'll probably do better than I will. But here's the thing is I want to give you some encouragement and some tools to read the book of Revelation. So here's the first one is focus on the easy stuff first and then get to the harder stuff later. Chapters two and three of Revelation are incredible chapters. And you can read those, read what it says to each of these churches, and you can learn from that. Say, oh, this is what he said to the church at Philadelphia, and I can learn from that. So start with that. Start with the low-hanging fruit of what is easiest to understand. Second is there is a lot of symbolism. There is a lot of imagery in it. But not all the imagery is that hard to understand. That Some of it is explained, and some of it is pretty obvious. I'll give you an example. This is Revelation Chapter 1, verse 12, it says this. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And you're reading that and you go, What are the seven golden lampstands? What is that about? 
Well, you keep reading down to verse 20, and it says this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the lampstands represent the churches because churches are intended to give out light to the dark world around us. Now, in the verses in between, it gives a description. Uh, And I'm going to read one part of this description and see if you can figure out what John is talking about. Revelation 5, verse 6, it says, And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamp standing, as, excuse me, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So he sees a lamb who looks like he has been slain. Who do you think that's referring to? Jesus, good, that's always the right answer in church, or it's never the wrong answer, right? So he sees Jesus, he goes, okay, well, I can figure this out. But then about it, it says that he has seven horns. And you go, okay, well, horns represents power. Well, how do you know that horn rep- horns represents power? Because I read it in the study notes of my Bible. That's how I know, right? It's there, right? And then seven represents the number of perfection. How do you know that? Because I said it 20 minutes ago, right? right? So, and here's the thing, is you look at this, again, this is us reading the book of Revelation and saying, how can it speak to my life? And you go, you have the lamb who was slain, who is Jesus, who has seven horns, represented that he has perfect power. And you go, wow, I'm going through some stuff in my life. And I could use a resurrected Savior who has the power to change my life. And we read that in the book of Revelation and go, that speaks to me. There's a lot of those that we can figure out as we read the book of Revelation. I want to give you two charts. Uh, and if you want to take your cell phone out and take a picture of these, otherwise we'll, post them. we'll also post them on Facebook later. Uh, so there's a lot of numbers that have symbolism. I'm not going to go through all of these. Uh, But these are the things as far as symbolism um, about what seven is and six and three and half and quarter and all that kind of stuff. Um, So that is one. If you want to take a picture of that, I'll count to three. One, two, three. Okay. And then here's the next one. This is the colors. Okay. Uh, And so as you read, there's different things, uh, robes and horses and things like that that have colors. And this will help you what the symbolism of those different colors are. Okay. I want to wrap this up with a couple of concluding thoughts and application, okay? The book of Revelation as a whole, instead of looking at the individual parts, which are a little bit difficult, but the overall, as we look at the book of Revelation, it is a call to be faithful. It is a call to say, are you living, and you can live. It's an encouragement to live faithfully before God. At the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about the book of life. And is your name written in the book of life? And that's a question to ask yourself. There's a book of life, and everybody who's in the book of life will spend eternity with God. And everybody's name who is not found in the book of life will spend eternity separated from God. And so part of it is we ask the question, am I a follower of Jesus? Am I a Christian? Is my name in the book of life? And then beyond that, there's this sense of faithfulness. Be faithful to God, because these are a bunch of people that's being written to 
who being faithful to God was really, really difficult. And it's an encouragement to them. And you see, what it does is it gives hope. It gives hope. And, and I don't know what you're going through right now. We're in the middle of the Christmas season. And it's supposed to be joy and celebration. And, and maybe that's you. Or maybe you're going through a time in life that is difficult, that is hard. And while the world is celebrating around you, you're muddling through at best. And you see, the book of Revelation gives this hope. It says, the future will be better. In the end, God wins. And we can hold on to that. It says this, it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. I mean, what an incredible promise that is. If you're going through whatever it is, at some point in the future, God will wipe away every tear. I mean, imagine being fully in the presence of God. No more tears, no more death. That will be an amazing and incredible day. Here's what I want you to do. I want us to finish. We're gonna, I'm going to read a portion of Scripture, uh, and then we're going to sing a song from Revel, the book of Revelation together. But I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads, and close your eyes, if you will. And what I want you to do is just picture this in your mind. Let your imagination run wild. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Go ahead and stand and sing with us.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity just to be in your presence. God, it's a small glimpse of heaven. The hope that we have that you will make all things new and all things right. God, we look forward to that day with such anticipation that hope for tomorrow gives us the hope for today to get through. God, thank you for this time of worship of your word and of your presence today. In Jesus' name, amen.